and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Well, look at the statistics. You take the Groves Dictionary of Music and Musicians, <clears throat> which is a book about what? Three or four inches thick? Well, it's a big book, right? <laughs> and if you open it up, how many of the names that are in the book of people who have written music since they kept track of all this stuff are you familiar with? Most of them you've never heard before. Does that mean that their music was terrible? No. It means they didn't have hits. None of their music got performed. None of their music survived. It may still be sitting in a library somewhere, but we don't know what it sounds like. And if we heard it, we might like it better than Mozart, but we don't know and we'll never know. Until some, until some imaginary golden age when they say anybody who wrote something deserves to have it played. That ain't going to happen. The only way you'll ever know who lives in those libraries is to be an absolute fanatic, go in there, get the music dusted off, and pay somebody to play it. And then you get to make up your mind. Now, that's not going to happen. Thanks to our guest today, Siobhan Hagen, for giving us that clip of Frank Zappa to play right there. That was um, him discussing music in libraries from the Martin... Perlich collection and that's there at UCLA Libraries, is that correct? Uh, thanks for calling in, Siobhan. Thanks, Siba. Uh, yeah, that is definitely from our Martin Perlich uh, interview collection, and it's circa late 1970s when he said that. That's so cool that you're, you're a part of the UCLA Library as a new, um, well, how long have you been there now? Yeah, so I'm the audiovisual preservation specialist for the library at UCLA, and I've been here uh, a little bit over a year now. I started in July 2011. It's really exciting that you get, um, like, that's like the dream job for us here at working in a... Yeah, exactly. It's, it's something new. Uh, there's never been this position. So not only am I new here, but the position itself is new at the library. Um, our preservation department also uh, is, is relatively new in its infancy. It's, I think it's just a couple years old, no more than five. Um, so it, it's, yeah, starting from scratch. Um, so it's, it's definitely fun. Uh, there's a lot to do, though. And you preserve audio like that Frank Zappa clip, and that's part of your Martin Perlich collection in your UCLA library? Yes. So I'm um, in charge of all audiovisual, so that is audio, um, video, film. And every now and again I sort of, you know, get questions about, like, floppy disks and uh, random media um, where there could be AV on it or there could be, like, word star documents or something um so yeah sort of the the frank zappa interview was on um a compact cassette that we have um and that we recently were able to reformat and for preservation and everyone just to remind you this is siobhan hagan here on, from UCLA Library. She is the audiovisual preservation specialist. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited um, you can share with us today. Can you, can you start with, by telling us how you got to where you are now in your career in education, life history? What drew you towards the audiovisual in um, your life to become this really cool audiovisual preservation specialist? 
Yeah, I uh, I actually went to undergrad at Loyola Marymount, um, and I studied film and video production, and then I, I had a history minor. So I've always been in love with uh, old things, specifically old movies. Um, but I thought I wanted to work in production for a really long time, and then I actually worked in production and realized that I didn't want to do that at all. Uh, so I went to, uh, luckily I, I got into NYU's Moving Image Archiving um, and Preservation Master's Program. So I went there and graduated in 2010, and then um, worked in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, which is my home sweet home, for uh, you know a couple months, and then eventually got uh, the job out here at UCLA Library. Oh, cool. So you grew up in Baltimore? Yes, I grew up in uh, Baltimore and then also in Frederick, Maryland, so all over the, the great state. Oh, nice. So East Coast, West Coast, how do you yeah, like it? Yeah, yeah. I definitely love L.A., though. It's, it's uh, you know, since I went to undergrad out here, it's, it's, it feels like home as well. Yeah, I hear Loyola has a great film program, and that's... Um, I, in 2010, I graduated from UC Irvine with film and media, so mm -hmm. that's something I've been very into as well and um, thought about production as well. Uh, what, what about production did you um, not enjoy? Um, uh, probably the egos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, and I was, it was a really rough time when I graduated as well as right when the economy started to tank. And, uh, you know, and there's, the production industry is just inundated with fresh graduates uh, who need jobs. So, you know, it, I, I was working for a, a small product placement agency, which was lovely. Um, the people there were lovely. But then the people you have to work with, uh, everyone thinks that they're really important. And I was just like, wow, I really don't feel like, uh, you know, supplying soda to a children's show is it didn't really make me feel like I was changing the world at all. <laughs> you know, I think we all sort of go to film school to, like, create something new or at least have some sort of vision. And it was so easily transferred for me to uh, preserving these things that nobody gets to hear or see, but, you know, are really important. That's so awesome um, that I ran into you at the Society of American Archivists conference in San Diego recently. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of talks on preserving um, small gauge film and all kinds of things. And there was like home videos they were showing from uh, like JFK's last ride in Texas. And right. just the things you can find. So do you do similar things with the community or are you looking to collect at UCLA um, from the community's home video, or, or what do you? What's your goal here at uh, UCLA? Yeah, I, so I don't. I'm not too involved with um, making collection and acquisition decisions. Um, I'm sure that they will listen to my input, uh, but so far I really haven't worked on that too much. But it, making a point about that, I, I know that that I didn't actually get to go to that uh, session that you talked about, but I know that the. Uh, Texas Archive of the Moving Image, which is a, a regional moving image archive, which there aren't many of. I think that that's a great example of where um, I feel like universities and colleges uh, tend to sort of fill that role for communities. Uh, 
as a, a regional archive because no one else will take these things. And I just, I, I noticed it here at UCLA. I've seen it um, at the University of Baltimore, at NYU. Uh, a lot of times uh, universities, like special collections especially, sort of turn into this uh, repository for regional AV um, just because they're afraid of it being thrown away because it probably would be anyway. Um, so for here at UCLA Library, we, we do have this uh, project, special collecting project called Collecting LA. Um, and we're recently, we actually recently got an NFPF grant, which is the National Film Preservation Foundation. We just got a grant to preserve um, a film from 1973 from the Synanon Collection. Um, and this is all part of the Collecting LA uh, project and uh, the Synanon collection basically Synanon was started in Santa Monica in the late 50s and it was a, a sort of Alcoholics Anonymous um, for addicts and uh, it became really popular there was a feature film made uh, in the 60s with Eartha Kitt and Chuck Connors um, and then by the by the late 70s um, it, it turned into a religious cult and uh, sort of collapsed in on itself because of different FBI investigations and things. So it's a fascinating collection because we have, uh, they had an AV department which was sort of part of the treatment uh, for patients. So they would make stuff just for use in-house and they would make stuff for, to, you know, show to potential donors, um, patrons, um, and so we have this like nine-minute film that we're getting preserved um, that is called Instant Guide to Sidonon. So right before they, uh, a couple years before they uh, filed as a religious organization. So um, that should be hopefully out there soon. Uh, and, and we're just collecting, I come across new collections every day that we have that are pretty fascinating. It's exciting, and who has access to these, and are, are they copyrighted, or are they for use in perhaps clips of uh, student films, or how do you... Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the collection. I know that, you know, there are privacy issues um, with uh, the Synodon collection, just sort of, since it, you know, went into the whole FBI investigation uh, route. That's sort of an unusual, uh, you know, um, space to, to delve into, particularly thinking like, oh, if we post this one film online that was just made for inter internal use, you know, of a Halloween party in 63 or something, um, you know, what if there's someone's grandfather or something that was there and then they see it and they say, I don't want people to know that my grandfather was part of that organization or something, you know, um, so we kind of have to play it by ear. It's really specific to each uh, sort of item and content. Um, and some collections have uh, are more restricted than others. Um, you know, we have a CBS collection here with a lot of original scores and music that uh, uh, frequently we get... Um, people coming in who, that want to make commercial CDs using these old uh, music scores of television shows and things. Um, 
So in that instance, they need to go and get the rights uh, with CBS. So it's, it really depends on what the what the donor agreed to and uh, and what the copyright is. Is is there a website? Do you have access digitally um, via the web for long distance audiovisual needs? Is well, like accessing our collections that we've reformatted. Yes, like do you have any like MP3s or streaming video? Or do you access, Do you put them up anywhere for public? Like yeah, if you go um, right now, what we're doing it's definitely since I'm new, it's a it's a new process. But uh, we have started to put some audio on the digital library website. Let me get the exact um, URL for that. And this is uh, but yeah, they they started um, putting some oral histories up, um, and and our plan is with all these projects that I've been working on, sending out to vendors within the last year, which have mostly been audio. Um, we're going to uh, have it linked. We're going to put it up uh, through the digital library and also link it to the finding aids um, that are hosted on you know OAC. So there'll be multiple points of uh, of access there. So okay, here UCLA, it's just um, the UCLA Digital Library is digital two dot library dot ucla dot edu, and two like the like the number not spelled out, which U is strange. UCLA but. Digital Two Library. It just says digital2.library.ucla.edu. Oh, okay. Or you could just Google, you know, UCLA's digital library collections. Um, That's exciting. And you guys are um, probably active on listservs like, uh, uh, was it Amia? Or just a lot of audiovisual people out there sharing their ideas around the nation. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying, um, you know, I gave a talk um, and a panel for the ALA's RBMS Rare Books and Manuscripts conference and then I'm going to actually give that same presentation but a little bit more in depth um, for the uh, Amigos Library Services is doing an online conference September 7th um, I think oh it's fast forward the future of audiovisual materials um, so I'm going to give that talk there, and that's about processing audiovisual materials. So, um, yeah, I mean, just trying to talk about what our issues are, trying to get other people's um, suggestions of what to do and what to avoid doing. Um, just because a lot of times with audiovisual materials, um, there there aren't a lot of standards for preservation. Um, there are some, definitely, but for example, video, um, there's no set standard for uh, when you reformat to digital for preservation. So um, that's always, you know, you, you like to go out there to similar institutions, uh, cultural institutions, and see what they're doing and, and listen to their justifications. Because the important thing is to make a decision and then have have good and well documented justifications behind those decisions. Yeah, because it's great to see the quality of film um, going higher and higher. I know back like 
15, 20 years ago, the stuff online, I could barely watch it, and now it seems mm-hmm. like, yeah, we've raised the, the standard of how we want our visual preservation. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, it, you know, with the reason why we've been doing mostly audio, I mean, this is one reason, but is because the um, preservation files are so much smaller than video. <laughs> Uh, they're still large compared to, you know, like uh, photographs or um, manuscripts. But uh, so we're we're definitely going to have to deal with. We are dealing with the digital space issue um, because it's it's a huge amount of space that you need to preserve um, video. So you know, let alone. The, back, the many backups and intermediate copies. and um, So that's an issue that uh, everyone needs to be wary of. The, the higher the quality, you know, we get the more space that we need. I'm on your uh, digital2.library.ucla.edu website, and I see the link to the Martin Perlich interviews. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool that there's um, a whole list of you know, and it's just accessible right there on the... Yeah, and, and we're definitely hoping to put uh, some more metadata up about these things. And, and the, 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 actually, the interviews that I've uh, done within the last year, or that I sent out within the last year, aren't, aren't up yet, but they should be sometime this fall, I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, because this is a... Martin Perlick is actually still... Uh, interviewing, you know, he, he focuses on musicians, um, but he's still interviewing and, and adding to the collection. Um, so, and it ranges, I think, from the 70s to the present day. So, it's it's really comprehensive, um, and there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think one of our biggest things is um, access and just getting access, the knowledge that it's out there to people, because, like, I would never have known, like, we need to spread the word of our collection so they can get usage. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's really exciting. And, and uh, that's sort of what I'm talking about with the processing audiovisual materials, because uh, I think a key to creating access is properly processing and then talking about, like, different levels of processing in order, if you have a huge collection, you know, you kind of want to do the more MPLP-style um, processing. So, and it's, it's always different with AV than with paper. And so you're creating the finding aids? I am actually not creating the finding aids. I am just um, training the processors who do create the finding aids in uh, recogni- like identifying AV formats um, and different information that I think would be the most useful to me and potentially researchers as well. That's nice. You get to focus on the audiovisual, the exciting, fun stuff, the preservation, conservation um, collection and at UCLA Library. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly, uh, so far it's been a lot of not only like navigating UCLA Library, which is you know pretty pretty huge, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's mostly just sending out um, materials to be reformatted uh, at vendors. But then I'm also 
building some in-house reformatting uh, capabilities for very select audio and video formats. Um, so hopefully that'll be up within the next year um, and we'll be able to start doing some stuff in-house. Uh, and we're really utilizing the uh, UCLA's Moving Image Archive Studies master's program students. Uh, we have I have a student worker, Jeff McCluskey, who's uh, wonderful, who works part-time here. And then I've also had um, some interns so and volunteers from that program. So we were really lucky to be able to tap into that. Was that is that a similar to the program you did in NYU? Yeah, they're pretty much... Um, that and there is a program at George Eastman House, but that program is actually, I think it's just a one-year program, just a one-year, I mean, you learn a lot, um, and its focus is film, which makes sense because of Kodak's, um, you know, prevalence in uh, Rochester. So between those, it's really those three programs um, but there's no, in the United States, there's no real uh, direct route, I think, to, um, I think you're the perfect example of, uh, and I've met a handful of other people that are sort of going the library science degree route uh, and, then, and then taking, you know, production classes or media studies classes um, in addition to to getting their library science degree, which I think is also a, a really interesting route to take. Yeah, and when you put it all together with the rare materials and history that you have, it's just exciting what you can do, and you're in the perfect spot right now in Los Angeles. Yeah, there's so many, yeah. I mean, there's so many events here that, and most of them are, you know, relatively cheap and free, because there's just so many unions, you know, really technical unions like SIMTI and um, Directors Guild, Editors Guild, and uh, just where you can, like, go mingle with people who have been in the business for a while. Um, because that's, that's the issue. I mean, I did learn film and TV production, but I learned, you know, I went to school, um, I graduated 2007 from college. Um, so there's... A, a, a huge, um, I learned very specific formats and very, you know, the obviously up-and-coming technology. So there was less focus on film production and older video uh, editing and, and capturing systems. So there's a lot to learn about the history of it because it helps knowing the history of production throughout the years really, really helps in uh, preservation work. And dealing with the audio, are you? Um, do you spend a lot of time at all, just listening to these um, oral histories or your audio collection, and just just do you do a lot of listening on the job? Yeah, there. Um, we when we get files back from vendors, we go through a quality assurance uh, workflow just to make sure that everything. Um, been reformatted to our uh, needs and wants, and just to make sure that uh, there aren't any, you know, digital errors or errors that weren't um, sort of inherent in the in the medium in the content themselves. So, um, I, unfortunately, I don't. I mean, I, every now and again, if 
you know, like when I was listening to Frank Zappa, I was like, this is really interesting. I'm going to listen a little bit more. But when you when you do the quality assurance, it, it takes so much time because this is hours and hours and hours of audio. Um, we just basically spot check a, a file, beginning, middle, and end, uh, just kind of to get the approximation to make sure that it, it sounds good. Um, so I... I don't get to listen and watch stuff as much as you might think, uh, but it's a good it's a good balance. And you've been um, at UCLA for a year, and you have a great future there as a library audiovisual preservation specialist. Thank and you. I'm very excited. Um, NYU has brought you back to LA, and you're in the field. I hope to hear one of your talks sometime soon, maybe at that next online conference or anywhere. Yeah, and I think that they're going to be putting, you know, they're capturing that and uh, they're going to be putting it online. I don't know if it's going to be free, but uh, it can't be too expensive. So, um, And I'm always willing to share, uh, you know, any PowerPoint or whatever, or just talk. You know, people can email me if they have questions. I I'm always willing and happy to talk about uh, AV preservation. Yeah, I know you're on uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and I'm sure you have email through UCLA. Yeah, my Twitter is uh, AV Discotech. I think it's AV underscore disco and then tech, like T-E-C-H. And then my email is shagan, H-A-G-A-N, at library.ucla.edu. So if anybody, you know, curious about the profession or work for a library or small archive or large archive for that matter and need some suggestions or just want to chat things over, I'm totally available. Do you guys have like any open houses or like walk-in office hours or like a physical building people can go browse Um, audiovisual? I... I mean, we have the Young Research Library um, where there's the, in the basement, the special collections reading room where a lot of people go to access things. Um, Other than that, uh, you know, if someone's really interested in what I'm doing, what I am personally doing here, I'm sort of off campus in in Westwood. um, And uh, I, I don't, I only right now just have a couple of rooms, and uh, but I'm always willing to give people tours. Uh, I don't know how interesting it would be, but <laughs> <laughs> well, for but us, come on down. Yeah, audiovisual uh, specialists unite. That's interesting, and archivists unite. That's uh, great. Librarians all around. Yeah, Maybe. we're all in the same boat, really. <laughs> And I thank you for your time. Our um, half-hour public affairs program here on KCI is up for today's Our Digital Future. I really was uh, looking forward to this and glad you were able to speak with us today. Yeah, thanks, Ziba. I really appreciate it. It was really fun. Anytime, and we'll hear more from you in the future. And have a great day. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. That there was our great guests from the UCLA Library Audiovisual Preservation Specialist, Siobhan Hagen. Um, we're going to have that up for you to podcast to listen again. And that there, check out the Digital Library Collections. She's doing a lot of great audio preservation work at digital2.library.ucla.edu. Stay tuned for more great 
Public Affairs Programming here in KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.